Welcome to the first D-Web podcast. It's been a crazy last week with everybody from QH Dev in Amsterdam live streaming through a decentralized network. Pied Piper chat has come true. Um, Marty Melmy, who is the second ever developer on Bitcoin, has been over at my place crashing. We've been coding some new features. I, we released new updates to storage engine that lets you do indexed search on them. Um, there's been oh, like 20 other things that have happened earlier today. Um, oh, oh, uh, Karen, who's here, built a Savelt gun app. That's this beautiful to-do list that syncs in real time. And as he was working on it, somebody had joined and was starting to add messages. And he was like, ah, who's here? <laughs> Um, there have been quite a few events like this last week has been been crazy with some awesome progress that's happened and next up uh, Julian is going to be showing his work on his federated access control list model and I think we have QV dev now he QV uh, can you are you able to speak QV I'll make sure he's Yeah, he's on. Yeah, maybe no audio, no video. But that is the one responsible for the live streaming HD video, fully decentralized to many different continents. Yay! Yeah, it's pretty cool. Was he one the one crashing the gun node? <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> Oh, I think uh, Julian. Yeah, I just posted a link in the chat. So if you want to pull it up there, you can. I'll try to screen share here as well. Let me figure out how to do that, though. Never used this before, so. So what do you guys think? It'd be good to do like a podcast each week. Yeah, I think it'd be cool to try to do stuff, you know, try to at least keep it, you know, more on a regular schedule so that way people can plan around trying to, you know, get into uh, come into this thing. Um, I think it helps to get people together and kind of talk about stuff. It's a lot easier than trying to type in the chat all the time. Yeah. All right. Take it away, Julian. All right. So uh, if you're familiar with how uh, uh, Bolt Catcher works, this is on the same principle, more or less. Um, I change it without doing message headers because I try to authenticate the actual um, peer connection. So um, over here at the top of the code uh, has the client. The client code basically I just do the same listeners that I had before, except on in or on out I do it on off. So basically when the gun chain sees a, an authorization uh, into the user, we're basically of a, a authenticated user. Um, it will basically craft a message. Uh, sign the message ID, and then I encrypt it with the uh, the actual peer ID as well. I don't know if you really need to encrypt it technically, but I just did it just to try it out. Um, then I put that the that payload more or less on a specific property on the message that I'll be watching for on the server, and then I emit it out on the wire on uh, to basically go to the the uh, super peer. Um, Question. I'm, getting, I'm getting like um, a uh, thrashing sound on the audio. 
and I tried to mute my audio and I see a few other people have their audio muted. Um, is anybody else getting the thrashing sound on the audio? Yeah, I was hearing it too. It may be a connection issue on his end. Okay. All right. And then carry on, Julian. I can hear you. It's just. Okay. It is supposed to be background. I don't hear anything around me, but I mean, it's picking it up. Um, okay. So basically that's all the, um, the, the uh, client will do. It'll, it, once it has an authorized user, it'll send a single message to the server. And then uh, here we got the server code. Um, so I keep just a list of which ones have been authorized so far. So that way I know what my current list of connections that uh, I had verified more or less. Uh, so the same thing to a listener. And this is on the in wire. So basically the in wire has also messages that go out uh, from the actual super peer itself, even though it's on the in. Um, so there's, we'll get into that a little farther down, but uh, so at first, basically, I'd try to catch any message that has a particular property from uh, an authentication message. Um, if I do get that, and I just kind of inline the other function here so we can see what's, what it actually does, um, it basically you know starts setting up the message, the reply message, the acknowledgement, um, and then it says, you know, what is the peer ID? Who'd you get this from? And this underscore uh, dot via dot ID is more or less um, uh, something that gun internally, uh, adds to the message since it knows where it comes. So when you get this message in already, this is already on that. Um, it's already on the message and you can't, uh, try to, at least I couldn't figure out a way to craft a message that would, <clears throat> um, I could falsify which, uh, peer this was coming from. Uh, so more or less, I'm using I'm using this as truth, you know, like that's just assume that this ID is indeed uh, the peer that it says it is. Uh, is it true, Mark? Yeah. So, um, Julian, could you open up in a new tab just next to you the uh, gun source code? So yeah, just GitHub and then gun.js and 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 then jump uh, do command F or control F. Um, here, space equals, um, hearing. Oh, here, <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that You're right, homonyms in English. <laughs> you notice right there, do, 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 um, right there, That's yeah. It, yeah. Yep, yep. So even if there was an underscore coming in, as long as you're using the daisy chain ad hoc mesh network, aka DAM, um, which is mesh.here, so if Dan hears it in, uh, if this peer hears on the mesh, um, a message is going to forcibly override underscore to a envelope um, sticky note that, that you can use internally inside of this process that only belongs to this process. And also note that it's a function such that when the message gets sent back out over the wire JSON automatically um, doesn't uh, doesn't wind up. Um, JSON ignores functions, mm -hmm. so that and I use that to my advantage because basically I want to try to keep the the peer ID as, as private as possible. So if the if it never goes out on a message, technically the only person that knows it should be the super peer, unless you out of band, you know, tell someone else your peer ID. 
Um, you can set your peer ID, I believe, when you instantiate your gun instance. Um, so you could technically not have it be a random number, but it's, <laughs> if you're trying to use this method, it's against your best interest. <laughs> um, so that's, that's basically where that's coming in, and that's what I'm trying to use uh, as basically my, how do I know who's sending me this message? Uh, okay, so this is back at their code now. Um, so, okay, I got my peer ID out of that. Um, now I just basically do the inverse of my other message. I decrypt it first using that peer ID, uh, and then I verify um, that the signature, uh, you know, what I get out of the signature does indeed match that particular message ID. Um, then I just add that to my list of people that's been approved, and then I return with an acknowledgement. And it's just an empty message, and I do that just so that way Gun doesn't give me the no act error, uh, error, no act received message. Um, and then obviously get all the error stuff here. Um, let's see. And this is, so this is what I'm catching um, to verify anything. And again, I'm using the same field because uh, again, I have, I have authority that it's good more or less. Um, and I'm saying, okay, if anything comes in that has, if I hear anything that's from a peer, um, I have to verify that I indeed can do something with this message and, you know, verify, verify the message. Otherwise, if not, basically anything else that's on the in wire, I'm just going to pass without verification. Um, and so that is basically all the gun, uh, this particular, the super peers instance will send messages out on in as well. Um, and so they will pass through, um, because they shouldn't have a message via idea. I think, I think some of the responses do mark, is that true that, um, this via field is on an, uh, a response message or not? I mean, it works, this code works and it doesn't give me errors, but I, I think that some of them were getting denied. So the way that I imagine it is if you get mail, if you send mail out and the post office receives it and they then need to route it someplace, um, they obviously don't write down notes on your letter itself as to like where in the place it needs to go. So I just kind of pretend like, oh, they stick a little sticky note on the envelope and then they put like, oh, put this in bin 27 to go out, you know, at 4 p.m. And then when the the envelope goes out, you know, the machine takes off the sticky notes or whatever. So that the sticky note there I'm imagining is the underscore and that's what okay. And it's only set by um, mesh. So if, if an adapter is not using DAM to put data in, then the sticky note isn't gonna get added. So what systems don't use DAM? Well, all of the storage engines, they use RAD, not DAM. And <clears throat> all the storage engines, uh, and, and RAD as a storage engine winds up acknowledging, oops, um, acknowledging into gun directly since it has access to that. You, um, Q, QVH dev, are you alive? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not, I don't think that any of the storage engines should be having a underscore via the ID unless it's coming from another peer storage engine. Okay, no, I, I think it's probably from the mesh, mesh, um, I don't know if mesh out or mesh say uh, would, would have that message on there as well. Um, which if mesh say would have it on there, I guess that would kind of work as well because that way you wouldn't broadcast 
messages out to other browsers of of basically put data that isn't isn't for them, I guess. Um, yeah, so that's an example. Because usually, usually all the responses that go come from Rad. Basically, is my um, you know I, those are the ones that are getting through this particular line here. All the Rad responses are. Well, then that explains it, right? Because um, Rad's not using damn to communicate to gun because Rad is is designed to not know about gun or um, mm -hmm. mesh networking. So the adapters are saying, well, this is a storage adapter and communicating on the wire spec between Rad and gun. Um, yeah, my, my, my initial thought was that I might have a problem where basically like if all the clients are listening to these messages on the wire, and I have one particular connection that says, hey, uh, give me this data. You know, I, just wonder, I was worried that that message would get passed around to all their browsers and then the response would also go to all those browsers and if they, were, if they had a subscription on for that wire message, they would then be able to get the uh, data even though they didn't, you know, weren't technically uh, the one asking for it originally because uh, my understanding is that it more or less pushes, you know, all requests back out to everyone. Um, yes. So because it's peer to peer, mm -hmm. but peer to peer with WebRTC fails a lot, other peers will act as the relay system. And that relay system is the daisy chaining. So mm -hmm. if you do wind up having a traditional setup where you have a super peer in the middle and you have like a star and you have a, if, you know, one, one, two, three, four, five browser peers on the outside and appear in the middle, if the browser peers are directly connected, they will communicate with WebRTC, they will communicate to each other directly, right? Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, have to add, you have to add the WebRTC uh, module, which is just dropping a script tag of lib slash WebRTC.js, but mm -hmm. um, WebRTC doesn't have good reliability in browsers. So um, I, I treat it as kind of a additive feature versus a reliable yeah, yeah. production <laughs> um now just because you're running through a super peer doesn't mean that the system is centralized because you can have as many number of super peers as you want and you can connect to all of them uh, and you can rotate between super peers if you want so uh, that's why there was a good question yesterday about like well why is gun um decentralized because it it from an architecture standpoint, it doesn't matter what you're using. Browser, Node.js, Electron, browser extension, native, you know, a native app. Um, it, it's going to communicate with a multitude of peers and not depend upon any one peer. So the coming back to the question is, yes, by default, Gun will relay all messages to all other peers. Um, except for acknowledgments. And the reasoning with acknowledgments is that uh, this is me explaining the daisy chain algorithm. So let me see if I can um, imagine you have like peer, 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 peer. Okay. And this peer asks a question. It comes up here. It gets rebroadcasted to those peers and also gets rebroadcasted to this peer. Um, let's say that these other peers don't have data on it, so they don't reply. So now this guy does have data and it wants to reply. If it, it would be very simple for it to, to broadcast back out and then rebroadcast and rebroadcast. But since it's only this guy that's really interested in that data set, um, there's 
a couple things that I could do to optimize it, which is when this method goes back, um, when this method goes forward, somebody is Eugenio. You can mute your. Uh, It sounds like he's making coffee. <laughs> there we there are. Go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no, it, it's, fine. it's fine. Are you making coffee? <laughs> um, let me pull the chat back up. I've got no audio and no mic. It's static. Okay. Okay. He's saying it's static. Thank you for forgetting. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> What we can do in DAM, and this is the equation, it, or the algorithm, is when the message originally broadcasts out, okay, um, you have that message dot via. So each local peer temporarily holds on to a, mess, to a message ID. It doesn't hold on to the entirety of a message. It only holds on to the ID because it deduplicates against that ID. Because if you actually think about the, the equation is when I send the message out here and then rebroadcast out to these guys, these guys would rebroadcast back, okay? Which would create a flood loop. So to stop that, the base algorithm is to hold on to the ID, which is why the ID in a message on an envelope is necessary, um, for a certain amount of time. And if it winds up receiving a message with the same ID again, it, 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 um, it does not rebroadcast. It, it stops it. Um, but even more important is if it receives that message again, it revives the liveliness of keeping that message ID in memory. So that way, that means this message is still kind of active and so it might echo back to us and then it just keeps on stopping. And this is actually how neurons um, communicate between synapses. Uh, one neuron sends out a, a signal which causes protein molecules to unfold, which then is the relay of the signal that then the other synapse receives or routes around. And so you can't do back propagation because there's activation energy of the, of the proteins unfolding in the um in the neuron synapses that prevents the energy from going backwards it also works the same way with um if you drop an object into water and it produces a wave or even when i'm speaking is that the activation energy of the outbound message is higher as each atom um has its electron states that gets excited and then re-emits the energy level, when that next atom receives it, it also re-emits it. It doesn't re-emit it in a particular direction, but because it re-emits it and the, the um, water on the edge of the pond is more flat, it's at a lower activation energy, it receives the energy and picks up the wave. But, if it, but when it tries to back-propagate, it's actually backpropagating against the activation energy of the wave already moving forward, so it quickly stops. So that deduplication algorithm, um, whether it's computer science, whether it's physics, or whether it's you know, neuroscience, is how you can create a system to deduplicate messages. Now, coming back to that final piece, 
um, I, sorry, I love algorithms and then I go on long explaining the algorithm stuff. We can add an extra condition for acknowledgements since each peer has that message ID that it is deduplicating against and storing temporarily for a short amount of time. It also contains some metadata about that uh, message ID, like the peer that it received it in on originally. So if this peer up here that does have the data acknowledges the Git request back, okay, as long as the in-between peers have not expired that message, so I think it's like, I don't know, every 10 seconds, 15 seconds or something like that is the default liveness. When this peer replies, this middle peer now knows, hey, I don't need to rebroadcast this acknowledgement out to these other people because when I see that it has the, the at sign, which identifies this in acknowledgement, and then looks up the ID, which is the value of the at sign, um, of the ID that it's being acknowledged to, and it pulls up the original message that's in the deduplication um, memory space and it sees who it came via, and then it decides, oh, I'm just only going to send the acknowledgement out via the way it came in. And it turns out, and this is really cool, it doesn't matter how many hops you are away, um, you've actually built similar to TCP in the outbound message going out a direct path. So even if the outbound message keeps on getting rebroadcast everywhere else at the point that it replies you now have a direct path all the way back that's straight um that that's that's direct um and so then the acknowledgments go straight back to the original peer but nobody really knows who the original peer is except for the first person that received the git as long as they didn't um as long as they're assuming that the peer that they received it from is like a weak peer, like a browser. Um, but they could receive it from another Node.js instance for the first time and not know whether it's just a relayed message or not. So it's kind of acting like Tor as well in the sense of anonymity is preserved across the network. So the acknowledgement straight back is a function of TCP or a function of, um, a function of the... Um, it's a dam. I got it, the back pressure. Okay. Of damn. But so, it's still having to like say it's the the ID is still arriving to all the places along the way. The ID is the message ID. It's random. It's not a peer ID. It's not a public key. It's not um, and those I, ID I meant the acknowledgement. Oh yes, the acknowledgement. So in terms of the acknowledgement, yeah, but um, you would have to in in you would have to run triangulation to figure out where the peer is going back. But on that acknowledgement, you're not going to receive, if you are running other, if you're other, if you're running other machines that aren't in the back, in the direct back link, those aren't going to, those machines aren't going to re receive the acknowledgement. Because they don't need to. Um, so they won't go to monitor that. But if they were, if they were um, experienced along the way, they will. They could only assume that the peer that they received it from was the originator of the message. However, 
there's no guarantee of that because every peer relays messages. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So imagine that there's a browser connected to a Node.js server and a Node.js server is connected to another Node.js server. And that's the malicious person trying to track people. The browser sends a message to Alice. Sorry, sorry. Alice the browser sends a message to Bob, the first Node.js server. And Bob, the first Node.js server, relays that message to Carl, the second Node.js server. Um, Carl isn't able to distinguish messages from Bob that Bob origina originates versus messages that Bob is relaying. Unless, of course, Bob is, you know, public key, unless, you know, Alice or Bob or these other people are signing their messages, but they don't by default. They might sign their data, right? In which case mm -hmm. you could figure out where the data is coming from. But the sweet thing in a decentralized network is you might retrieve data that is owned by Alice from Dave. So mm. network topology does not equate to, um, security and actually this is coming now let's come back to what julian is talking about julian's access control list structure here is dependent upon network topology so it's it's what's called a federated model versus mm -hmm. a decentralized model and it's a really good model it's what email is built out of and look at how well email has scaled um but julian for his use case is certainly setting up a structure where he wants a super peer to have a type of authority um, that determines permission for the browsers that are communicating with him. Correct, Julian? Yes, yeah, more or less. My goal is to kind of make the, um, the super peer and specifically the super peer that has, you know, the actual on-disk storage is kind of like, I'm trying to get the on-disk storage to be the, you know, single source of truth. So if everything went down, you know, you'd still have, if you could get to your super peer that has all the data on the disk, you'd say, this is accurate, you know, and this is what I have. Um, so that way you can do backups and stuff like that too. Um, for more of like a, you know, centralized, you know, like if a company wanted to use Gun as its kind of back end, but wanted more assurances or something, um, this, would, this would kind of, you know, where this would kind of come in at, so. I do want to note, though, um, that for right now, hacking this prototype out and using the ID for authority is fine. But um, certainly be careful if you advertise this as um, security because other peers, right, like you said at the beginning, could instantiate the browser peer with the ID of the person they're trying to spoof. Um, so there's, there's certainly this is certainly not like cryptographically secure. No, it's not. It's, it's uh, like obscure secure. <laughs> there we go. Okay, cool. Just for any, any person who watches from the future, this uh, recording and they see this and like, Oh, um, I, I just want to make the disclaimer that, that this is security by obscurity, not necessarily uh, true security. <laughs> and I think, I think I may be wrong. You can, you can help me uh, better understand it too. As far as like the bullet catcher method, that is that is even you know more or less you know less secure than this method because you can see the message and the ID or the message and the header, and so that way you know it's on a you know you, if you see a message come through, you need to um, you can basically see what the header is and then put that on your messages, and you'd have permission just like um, you know whoever was the one that 
set up their bullet catcher system. Is that is that correct in a way? Yeah, bullet catcher. Um, I don't think is intended to actually be used. It's more just like here's a quick example of how to okay. create an adapter. Um, okay. But yes, you've certainly done stuff to make things um, more restricted than bullet. You're catching more bullets and you're doing <laughs> it, uh, better. Okay. Um, so that's kind of my, my basic premise there is, is that basically you don't have WebRTC on. Every message justly goes to the superior and the superior will be the one responding to messages. Um, and so that's, that's how this, this by ID will work in this scenario. Um, and then I have a, um, I listen for the buy uh, event happening on the wire as well, or on um, through these listeners. Uh, and that basically just um, fires when a client leaves. Uh, and all of this does is just basically removes it from the auth connection. So they're no longer, basically we, we give up that, that um, peer ID and that peer ID, if it's, it's seen again, would have to, um, uh, it would have to be, um, uh, re-authenticated, re-verified. It has to have a new, a new, uh, new signature and everything. So, um, so that's basically, you know, that's the, the two main listeners as far as um, the client and the server go. The rest of it is more or less just general logic on how to actually, you know, how would you implement a verify permissions, which I I just include that code because I already, you know, kind of basically how I have it working on mine. And and the, this really comes down to the more you have in between when you when this message comes in to when you got to actually do the two dot next dot message is going to impact performance. So you want to basically try to figure out as quickly as possible is this message something that needs to be checked or can I just pass it through anyway because it's it's not important. Um, so first I check does it have a, a git and if it does have a git does it actually have a soul on the git and then it's the same thing with the put is there actually a put value in it? Uh, there is some message put undefined that come through so that this will catch some of those and ignore them. Um, I could probably pass them all through, but I just decided to know <laughs> what's going into this actually has data. Um, and then if it's not a get or put, because there are other messages in the wire that are not get or puts, um, you know, just pass that along because we don't really care about it because it's not going to affect our data. Um, and so basically just pass that in the verify. Um, here I'm just trying to figure out what is what so I can figure out what soul we're working with. Um, and then I say, okay, is this restricted or not? Uh, again, another check that's kind of really comes down to your, your soul schema and how you want to architect your sort of, you know, uh, how your, what your IDs of your souls are versus the data that resides at that soul. Um, so I just did, um, this one here is basically just for, um, you know, all the user stuff that comes through, they all have the Matilda sign. Uh, so if anyone does like a, in the user space, does it get or put, I'm just going to just pass those through anyway. Um, and then like, you know, I just added a permissions one here for this example. Um, so basically there's permissions. So, um, you know, if it's, if there's permissions anywhere in the name of the soul, you're just going to pass that one through too, because, you know, you'll start stacking up uh, requests otherwise, because as you get down in the rest of logic, it's going to ask for more data. Um, and so you, you're going to have more messages coming into in to verify the first message. So you have to, you have to make sure that you have the asymmetries going the way that, that works for you. Um, and so basically I just check, okay, here's my get ones I'm letting through. And if it's the opposite get, then, you know, do math and logic and then puts same thing, except that I do, I only test the user one. So that way users can put their own data in users. 
Um, otherwise, everything else I'm going to say needs needs permission regardless of whatever the is in the soul. You can add anything here and it would basically work just like how normal gun works at that point, but that's up for you to do what you want. So that'll return true or false. And then, you know, if that's, if it's, um, if it's true or false, it's not protected, then just pass the message along so we can get the, get the performance back that we need on those that uh, aren't important. Um, if it's, uh, otherwise you got to continue down here, um, and say, okay, have we seen this? Um, who is just the peer ID? Uh, have we seen this peer ID before? Um, or have we seen it and is it authorized? Um, so if we've seen it authorized, um, then we have to, uh, we'll say, yep, this is verified. And uh, we'll, we'll, I store the public key with the peer ID on the server just so we can avoid any other lookups. And then it goes down to actually testing the request. If not, you send it in there and this verified will be false. So that way, you know, it's not verified and you will not have a pub key. Um, and this is just in case, you know, there could be additional logic that matches to where you don't actually need permissions. For example, if you had a group where anyone could read, but only certain people could write and it, and it's still a protected soul, um, you'd, you'd, you know, it's not in the whitelist per se, but you'd have to come down here and, and figure out that, Hey, this particular, you know, has a permission with, uh, read and that group has, um, and that group is anyone can read it and then you just pass it through right away. Um, so this is actually the testing request. You know, I just put all my uh, permissions up here that I have already looked up basically. Um, and I set up subscriptions to guns. So this, this should basically always be up to date if any permissions change. Um, but I don't have to query gun every time because again, that would create more in messages, which there's a lot of in messages. So you're trying to cut down on network traffic because you're working at the network level. Um, or at the wire level. Uh, and then this is just an example of how I did like admins. You could just, you know, put them in as hard coded for now. And mine, I tried to do it all dynamic and it just adds a ton of logic, but uh, it really comes down to how quickly can you identify uh, what type of soul or ID is coming in and what needs to happen with it. So I just did a simple one this is protected. You know, again, this has got to be matching whatever your schema is as far as if you have a sort of like um, some sort of, way to know that there's a there's a string or this particular thing uh is indeed part of the protected list and if it is then you have to go get the permissions for that particular soul um i just did it as you say okay every soul has a permissions uh soul as well that you know is is uh read only so that way you can get to it um there's different ways of doing this mine i have kind of where you have i did around the concept of like um you have bases and then you have like I tried to do it more of like in tables thought experiments because these are reasonable at least for now. Um, so you have like a, a base, a base ID, and then you'd have like a table, which tables is for, and you'd have a row on that table. And so basically I wouldn't, you know, I could have it down to the row level of saying, Hey, does this person or this, you know, uh, instance on this table need permissions? Otherwise I can say, Oh, it'll just inherit it from whoever, uh, whatever permissions are set at the table level. So that way you only have one soul that could do, uh, one permissions list that does everything on that, you know, uh, subspace. Um, so it's, cool. how, how are you doing the inheritance are you at the row level and then just cascading back up to the, yeah, basically I have like, I have, I have like a config thing that, you know, whoever's the admin can set basically, uh, does this inherit or not. And if it does inherit, 
um, you know, it'll look at the table first. And if there's no permissions at the table, it'll go up to the, the entire database permission level. And so that way you can, you know, you can start, you can start your database without really needing to uh, instantiate really anything uh, because it's kind of built in that you're uh, already part of the, the database when whoever creates the initial one, which I don't have in here. I have this as hard coded. Uh, and this is part of what I had talked to you previously about, Mark, was um, trying to figure out how to read, um, read directly from disk because that's the problem is that I don't know if this is a request that's already been done or not. So like when I create the database, I just say, hey, anyone that gets this particular soul and I can read from disk on my super peer, if it doesn't exist already on my super peer, I'm going to say this person can write to this, this particular soul regardless because it doesn't exist. And then they're considered the super admin. Uh, and then that super admin can then bootstrap and build the admin uh, group. And then the admin group can bootstrap and build the rest of the app groups and everything else that you need to uh, do. So that way I can, mine is set up completely dynamic way I do it. Um, but that was way too much to explain. So I just knocked this way down to be really simple. Um, well, so it's for example, that you've been able to um, jump into wire development because uh, that's kind of the lowest level and it, required, it, it requires the most verbosity, but it's the most powerful. So this is really, really mm -hmm. neat that you've been able to go straight to the <laughs> core of everything. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a bit of a learning curve, but I'm starting to understand how the messages actually flow through Gun now and kind of how Gun Core actually operates and, and kind of how the adapters actually hook in and uh, stuff like that. So um, <clears throat> I put a lot of comments in this so people want to read it later or better understand how I'm doing it. There's, there's a refresher on it, but... Um, so basically, um, like in mine, I have this get soul, um, and this get soul basically just says, Hey, uh, is it in cache already or not? Um, and I explicitly put it as undefined because it could be just null if there's no data already, but it, it exists, but there's no data. Um, you know, I'll put a null in there. Um, that way I know that that's a, that's a valid, you know, response. Um, and then I also do, otherwise, if it's not in there, then go to gun and get it. Um, and then I use this, the actual, um, the get uh, function listener here. Uh, so I don't have to worry about once or on or anything. Um, and then I can, you know, it'll return again for existence knowing um, if this is undefined, it'll say basically, hey, I can't find anything for this. Um, which being on the super peer, technically this would, should just basically ask the uh, rad whether it has, has data. Uh, but when I first was doing this, the problem was if you were putting in a new soul for like the super peer, um, basically you'd have the problem where it's already in the in-memory graph. It's because it's, it's heard it. Um, so when you'd run this one, it would always return <laughs> that you have it, <laughs> even though like you don't technically haven't passed it to next yet. I think it, it was it was showing up somehow. <laughs> um, so I, I, that's where I really need to have the um, uh, trying to get the at the at the disk level so I knew if it was already in persistence or not. Again, trying to keep with that as my my single source of truth long term. Um, and so then basically I can I can just put this in my cache. And then I'll set up a an on um, that will always update. So if that permission changes, I don't have to do anything uh, special about it. because um, it'll just I can keep looking at my cache and it will keep giving me, you know, the current value more or less without doing another network request. Um, so that's how I, I do that to cut down a network request. I just basically uh, uh, just cache it out. Um, let's see. Where was I? All right. 
And then, so basically, if you do permissions, the permissions are going to give you, um, this is the way I set up right now, is just basically you have read-write. I have create online as well, because I'm I trying to read from RA data directly off the disk as well, so I can actually see when someone's creating a new node. So I get technically one more um, ability. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it just it says a group name. And group man management is most the logic in my, my actual adapter that I'm doing. Uh, because you know, basically, this is your permissions is who's in what group. So yeah. who can add or remove people from the group, or is really who holds the keys more or less. So um, there's a lot of logic around trying to do the group stuff dynamically, but it's up to just implementing it in code, basically. And then so basically, if you know the group name, you can say, okay, where does this reside on the network? Um, and then get the group, which should be a list of public keys with values of true or false. Um, so if the pub is is true, so they do have permission in this group, then you finally pass the message on to next. If not, you could check, hey, this could be an admin. Um, so that way, um, you know, the admin, you don't have to explicitly put admin everywhere. They just have permissions above everything. Um, so in our particular scenario here, I'm saying that they, that they are an admin. They are not in the group, though. Um, so we have to run as admin. So then we do, um, well, if they're not verified, they can't be admin because we don't know who this is. Uh, so return, uh, we act back with an error message, which uh, I believe console logs through gun already because gun's looking for uh, ACK errors um, on replies. So you'll get a console log without having to do anything. <clears throat> and then basically admin's in there and we know this admin is indeed this pub key based on our previous authorization. Then send the message along anyway. If not, then this person is non-admin. They are verified, but they're also not in a group then uh, act back with error also that they're denied. And that is one whole <laughs> round of getting a message in and it should work for get or puts as well. So you can do read. So it, uh, you can basically stop reads also. So you can have, without having to encrypt data, you can you can have, uh, a, uh, you know, so request data and they'll just return an error, so. Wow, yeah. it <laughs> works already, huh? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was I was testing it again uh, yesterday, and it seems to seems to work. I'm gonna obviously do some more some more testing on it to make sure everything goes. There's a slight performance hit, but when I can go off the peer ID now, because when I first did, I did at the message level to where every message had to be signed, and that all the signing and verifying just took a ton of time. It still technically worked, but it was just the performance was just atrociously slow. So once I found that the peer ID could be something we could rely on coming into the the uh, soul, then I could just set up a single signature verification and then everything else more or less just has to run through logic, which again, some of that logic does require additional calls on gun, which, you know, increases time because you have to wait for all that to come through for the initial message to pass through, but you can still, um, you know, it still functions and everything. And um, I did it with my normal input, uh, import thing and, um, and that worked just fine too. It did, um, you know, it's only the first couple puts that it's got to get everything in cache. And then once it's in cache, it just basically looks at that object and, it, it goes it goes pretty quick after that and I imported thousand lines of a thousand uh, rows of 14 properties each and you know less than a minute it settled on uh, CPU load so it's all on disk nice um do you have a, a demo that you're able to show of it working in action um, yeah uh, let me uh, let me see if I got one here uh, so my VM actually let me see if it's actually uh, I was moving on to the next thing of reworking all my other code now, so <laughs> I don't know if it's actually working. That's fine. I 
I'll, I'll check it here. If it does, I'll, I'll show everyone, but uh, switch what screen I'm sharing. You've learned the wire spec pretty well. <laughs> so I haven't been around much to help you with uh, uh, diving into it. So this is pretty impressive that you figured out all the nuances of how. <laughs> how a lot of poking around, a lot of console logs, and there's a lot of them when you're on the wire. <laughs> yes, there are a lot. External messages come in to appear, flow into memory which responds and replies out to all messages with the peer that original message then not only hits the memory response but then goes down into storage does the storage look up and there's a possibility that the storage might stream out responses so then there's those storage responses come in go through an input right um even though it's from this local peer back into gun and then go back out and hit everybody else. Uh, so there's a lot of cyclical structures. And the reason why is because HAM, the hypothetical amnesia machine is the conflict resolution algorithm to make sure that the data is all merged and consistent, well, eventually strongly eventually consistent. And that means everything has to pass through DAM uh, sorry, not Dan, has to pass through ham at some point. Um, and that means ham is this one great big tornado where all outbound messages, all internal messages, all storage messages, all wire messages, all um, transport messages, all API messages, all chain messages have to go through ham before going back out to these different places. Yeah, just a second. I think I can get it working here. It's just trying to get the. Uh... We can't see your screen. Yeah, I know. I'm on my other screen yet. I, I'm trying to get uh, it actually to do what I want here. And then I'll switch my screen over. No problem. So I want to make sure <laughs> you weren't doing stuff and completely oblivious that. Oh, I don't want you to see this. None of this stuff's working. <laughs> <laughs> the best code is always bleeding edge. Well, it's not necessarily true, but <laughs> the code that humans are working on are bleeding edge. <laughs> it's nice to always be working on bleeding edge code. Yeah. <laughs> it's a luxury that not everybody gets. Yeah. And definitely, if you're writing bleeding edge code, you have to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> A pound of flesh. While you're still looking that up, I'll give you guys a little high-level preview on the new RAD features. But Julian, please interrupt once you're ready. So 
Rad doesn't know about gun. Gun doesn't know about rad. C doesn't know about gun. Gun doesn't know about C. And, but they all have adapters that connect each other that make them talk to each other. And coincidentally, I don't know why, they are built on the same primitives and patterns. And one of the patterns is the soul structure. You guys have all seen probably the soul structure is an object with hash as the key and then a string as the ID, the UUID of what you want to look up. And that's great and all, but for years and years and years and years, I actually haven't implemented the rest of that um, soul structure, even though I've had code in tests that will check for it. And it's, I call it um, a lexical cursor or a lexical lookup. And RAD supports lexical lookups. They let you do an exact match, which is effectively what everything is doing already. Okay, you have a string and you find a string that exactly matches that and you move forward. But the lexical lookup will also let you do um, a prefix lookup. So if you have permissions slash and then a bunch of souls or properties or keys that are saved on that, previously in GUN, um, or I should say previously in the storage engine, there was no way to do that lookup. And in GUN, it, was, it wasn't really supported in memory. But now that's supported now, um, there are some bugs with it. So now you can say, oh, I want to get all users that have the prefix of MA, right? So Mark, Mary, Marty, um, Matricia, you know, whatever name. And then that will only get you the subset of keys on that node that match the prefix of MA. And that's not all. There's more. <laughs> um, you can also pass on the lexical um, lookup on git a greater than or less than range. And now the greater than less than range is more specific, uh, sorry, is less specific than an exact lookup. And the, the rule of the lexical cursor is it actually runs each of them in, in order of specificity to least specificity. Um, there's explanations of it in the docs. So greater than and less than actually kind of work like greater than and equal to, or less than or equal to. So that then would let you create a chat app where you can put all of the chats on a single node. And the problem right now with the default gun.js Heroku app is that for years and years and years and years, people have just been adding test messages to the, the demo app. And the demo app is just a gun.git chat.map.on. So it's just iterating over everything that's ever been saved. And over time, you know, that's tens, thousands. It's just a ton of messages that get streamed out to the browser, which is un unnecessary. A real chat app, you would just want to load basically the last day's worth of messages. Um, it turns out that if you load the last day's worth of messages, though, if you use the prefix search, 
uh, you don't really have any guarantee, like maybe nobody's talked that day. So the, the range search lets you specify, hey, I want to load all messages um, that are less than today's timestamp and larger than yesterday's timestamp. And then if you don't get any data, you can just move that larger than to be earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. Um, and I'll then start including those messages. Another example is a contact app, right? Let's say you have a bunch of your friends in a list, Mary, Mark, Marty, and you want to search. Um, or sorry, sorry, let's say not search. You want to, you have a really big contact list, a really big friend list, and you want to jump straight to um, a certain range. Like you want to paginate through your contact list. This would let you say, hey, find everything larger than A and less than B. And then you get back the results and then you can paginate into the next results. By default, it, each response comes with a byte limit and that byte limit is a parsed byte limit. So um, you can say, I only want 20,000 bytes. You're not guaranteed to get 20,000 bytes. So if you say, I want starting at A and ending at B, if there is fewer than 20,000 bytes worth of A to B, you'll, you'll get all of them, right? But if there's like a million records that all start with A, um, you're not going to get, you're not going to get all of them. You'll, you're only going to get up to the byte limit. And then you can take the last record in, that you've gotten back and use that as the new starting. So let's say you got um, starting with A, you know, Alex, Andrew, um, AV. So let's say the last thing you got was AV. You can then take AV and use that as your starting range for your next uh, lookup. And now you're going to get all the node, uh, sorry, all the properties on this node starting with Avery down. Um, and then you can just keep on doing that as somebody scrolls or as somebody clicks next page, next page, next page. So that's already available now. Um, there are some bugs with it in terms of uh, whether if you're on a different peer, sometimes it doesn't reply because I, I guess I didn't connect in the, at the wire level things properly, but I'm getting those things fixed and hopefully they'll be, they'll be out soon. Um, next couple weeks. Well, I realistically not the next couple weeks because we have three more people flying in and visiting. So hopefully next couple months, but you could play with it today and it, and if you're in memory, it should work pretty well. QH. I, I just about have it here, but I you can go like, keep going. I'm just letting you know that I think I'll have it. I was on the wrong branch, and that's why I was I was going the wrong direction. <laughs> hey Dario. Hey. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I, I think that that's great that that new feature because we are doing that like. Um, like manually, we are storing like uh, for today, we have a node and for tomorrow. So each day we have a node and then we are doing like exactly the same thing of getting uh, like I want to get uh, at least 20 records. So I, I go over 
all dates until until I get twenty, and then uh, you have to know that you you uh, where 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 is the last date that you get. So this seems like uh, make make that work like out of the box, and we don't we don't have to do it manually anymore. I think. I've I've seen uh, I've I've worked with. Uh, Python key value database, uh, Zope object database. You guys heard of that? I've heard of SOAP, as in like before. No, no the, the Zope object Zope. database. It's basically um, Python, serialized Python objects in a tree, like a optimized B tree format. Um, and they do, they, they track stats on reads. So when, and I was thinking you might want to do that on like the, the user object such that um, the most, like when a user is accessing their data, it's pulling, automatically pulling the objects that it most often uses. So like for Zope, I think it, you can set it in the cache limit, but it will just, It'll just automatically cache like the million most used objects. By default, Gun is caching everything. At a certain point, it will start to run out of cache limit. And if you're using master x thousands um, evict library, it'll start evicting stuff. But right now, I don't, I don't know if that's included by. I think it is included by default, but that's only on super peers in the browser. Um, if you query the user, it'll stay cached afterwards. So something similar is happening, but there's not as good of a uh, quality control on discarding um, data that doesn't need to be cached anymore. And uh, Dario, that's that's really cool. I'd actually recommend, even with this feature rolling out, that you guys still stick to that process that you're using it because it's better to represent it in data um, than necessarily rely upon structures underneath because that just keeps your code and app more flexible yeah uh yeah i i i wasn't planning to change how how, how it's working right now um what, what you say is that um doing this manually might be better because it represents better the the data or or yeah okay yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think so too. But um, it, it also uh, like you need to do it uh, manually, even when we already um, uh, came around with that and it's working fine. Um, it's like it, it feels weird, like having to do that in order to to get pagin uh, pagination. Um, yeah, it's not convenient. So yeah, if you want to switch for the sake of convenience. Uh, of course, you can. Although, please wait until it's a little bit more tested, and well, or or try it out. Complain where it's not working, so that way then I can refine it. But don't necessarily roll it out to your app yet, because uh, it certainly needs to probably go on through more developer okay. testing before. Um, I'm gonna have Julian jump back to his demo, but after that, I would love to see, it sounds like you guys already have an application that's out rolling, running. I'd love to see 
see the app that you have that's using that data structure that you're pulling the different uh, day objects from. Okay, sure, I can, I can, I can show. So Julian, uh, let's go back to you and let's see your demo and then when you're done, I'd let's yeah, just Yeah, I'm gonna do a, a restart of my server. It's just not going very fast right now. I think it'll work, it's just, it's uh, cheesed up. It's been, <laughs> didn't like all my thrashing. But in regards to the time thing though, I had, uh, I looked at uh, Bugs' implementation, uh, Levi on his, uh, what he'd worked on with time graph and I had sort of re-implemented it in my own uh, system and it seems to be working pretty well. Um, one thing, one thing I changed from how his was a gun chain and it would only work for the sole that was basically it was set up on. And I wanted to be able to basically index, uh, any sole just kind of off, not, not through the gun chain, but say, Hey, I just want to run this function, pass in gun as just like, so it can operate on the database. Um, and with this sole, and then it just would do that with its sole. Um, because I want to be able to go back and change the index too, because it was only when you do the set um, that it would actually put that in the index. But I want to say, like, uh, if you, you know, we're towards fine for like a created, uh, like I created this thing now and I'm going to set it and that won't ever change. But if you want to say, like, if you had like a date field itself and you wanted to say, hey, I have all these invoices and they have dates on them um, and I need to change the date of this invoice, you want your index to change as well. So that way you can. Um, you know, if you ever queried your time index, you would actually have uh, a, a correct ordering instead of uh, the original ordering. Yeah. Um, so I kind of had changed that around a little bit and uh, adapted it for. Wow, uh, and you have my... it working? <laughs> oh yeah, that's why, I, that's why I'm building on this thing right now. If I get my gosh darn demo to work, I'll show you. <laughs> you, need to, you need to be showing off this stuff in the chat room, Mar. There's uh, cool projects that people have that they don't, that they need to share and show and brag about and promote and talk to people. I was actually I a couple people that asked about them or who it was exactly, but I had, I had shown them uh, if they needed. I've been reading bullet catcher code, but I realized how low level it was. So I was like, oh, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the goal. I, I, was just, I was just really determined. I wanted to get this to work. I'm like, I think I can make it work if I figure it out. So I, I just dived in. <laughs> Everybody, I'm sure, has seen Goldfish's Not a Bug site. And like, it's an incredible peer to peer um, quote clone of Reddit, but you can hardly call it a clone because it's like, it, it looks like Reddit. It be, kind of behaves like Reddit, except for you could do even cooler things like anonymous upvotes um, without spamming the system and stuff. And it, it's like mind blowing. And he's been able to do all of that because he's like one of those brilliant engineers that could just go straight down to the wire level and catch, he, he's, he's like basically Neo from the Matrix where he's like, okay, all these packets are coming in. Um, so he's able to operate and build this system. Uh, he's done it all just like straight off the, the wire, the gun wire. Um, I mean, he does have API calls as well, but um, it's you, like you get so much more power when you're literally speaking UDP. <laughs> um, not that the API isn't powerful as well. It's just, it's, it is an abstraction to make thing to make things easier to one degree. And that abstraction 
I've made sure is composable. So you can compose it and build really powerful things on top. You could build a write type system um, on top of the API, but yeah, you're going to get way better performance if you just start looking at the HTTP wire or the TCP wire or um, the gun wire or the, you know, UDP wire. And since gun abstracts all those, you know, transport protocols anyways, if you then can speak the gun wire, like Goldfish and Julian are doing, you can effectively catch these bullets and do all sorts of crazy magic. Is, so what you're saying is like gun is slowed down by user space. In JavaScript, because every single function call in JavaScript is a logarithmic performance. So all of the conveniences of like making sure it's a valid graph, making sure that things are routed to you correctly, making sure that you can subscribe to events, and like all of those conveniences that check for correctness and for um, ease of use are at some point, I, I mean, I've made sure it's very performant. It, it, doing a direct lookup in gun, um, like you can run some of the, the benchmarks is still insanely fast. It's like faster than Redis. Yeah, uh, because, it does seem really snappy. But what I'm talking about, you could get even better, better performance because yeah. the more function calls you call, um, the better you get. However, that means you are kind of sacrificing correctness unless like Julian is doing, he's re-implementing some of the correctness, which is function calls. So there is, there is gonna be some slowdown, um, but, but he's able to potentially throw away all of the modules that are just convenience cruft and only focus on the exact use case that he wants. So, wait, so can you guys see my screen or not? I'm yeah. just curious. Okay, because it's on a VM and I don't, I don't see my share screen button anymore. <laughs> All right. Um, so this oh, is just a, actually, a little, on one second. I just went to the chat room since um, uh, QV Dev is your name, Eugene? No, no, no. Oh, you know. Yeah, yeah, the wrong input source. Okay. <laughs> um, gun get users map users username. Okay. So the difference was that question with respect to the Radix um, lexical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you were mentioning that you can some sort of wildcard uh, get some data. I was wondering what the difference was with this. Actually, maybe I maybe fully misunderstood. But uh, no, you're you're correct. If you just do a wildcard against all the data on the user, it's no different than what you have there. the The cool thing is with uh, example you gave. Well, since that's an exact match against Mark, you could just do gun.getusers.getmark. Um, oh, oh, but you're pulling up the user.name. Got it. Got it. You're filtering it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's some sort of filtering. I got this from the docs, right? And I thought you were also talking about the filtering, but as I said, maybe I got it wrong. So maybe well, I'm missing a part. So what the Radix lexical sort let you do point up thinking oh, that's the uh, that's where you you put it in the getter chat on um, how the actual syntax to do it in a git I thought that was because he was putting gun git users map uh, that's where you do the gun git and then you pass in the object with the request with the thing just for reference for him 
I can't okay. get out of um, I can't get out of uh, Zoom. I can't go to my browser. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll do it. I'll look at the URL later. Yeah. So um, QV Dev, what the Radix lookup does is that data is on disk. So if you only if you index people's if you index people by name, then you can look up on disk um, the name directly and not have to retrieve any other users. Does that make sense? You'd only retrieve. Uh, okay, yeah, 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 I can see. So what this does actually gets everything and then filters. And you're yes. talking a step earlier where it's already filtered. Correct. Before you're further filtering or whatever. You're just getting, uh, okay, I understand, yeah. So a cool thing though, is that if you don't have any, if you haven't built up an index like that, you could do a gun.get users map user, okay? And iterate over all the users that you have and basically, uh, and then build an index that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, now I understand the, the difference as well. Yeah, great, good, uh, good cool. to know. Cool. And I'm excited for when we can start uh, uh, doing a screen sharing and uh, these podcasts with the, uh, uh, the live stream. Yeah, me too. But uh, <laughs> a lot of work. Thanks so Yes. <laughs> All right, Jillian. All right. Next so this, this is just kind of our test app we have built here. Um, so you log in. Uh, actually, log in as the super. Sign in, and then it probably won't work now. Oh, there it is. All right. So then on my server, it logs out. I just had it when it runs that authorization. Basically, it's saying, "Hey." Here's auth connections. This is the peer ID that connected, and here's all the uh, here's the pub key that we've verified that is indeed that person uh, with their signature. Um, so I had uploaded some test data already, um, and so if you can see my console log here, it's going through the the time log um, or the time index. But basically, time graph is um, I just kind of repurposed it, so you can see it navigating down the souls, um, going to each index. Uh, it's not super fast right now. It used to be faster. I think I might change something that caused an issue, but it logically works, and that's all I'm worried about right now. <laughs> Good speed later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so basically, it's going down here and saying, give me all these souls uh, that are have been created since the beginning of created. Um, and then it, it goes and gets all those actual um, souls, which are supposed to display here, but uh, they don't always display and I'm actually doing the calls at a per property level. So I'm, I'm mapping over and making a gun.get um, for everything. So this is a table of a thousand, um, a thousand rows um, with uh, 14 properties. So I'm actually doing 14,000 gun calls when I'm doing this. That way it's the worst case scenario for performance wise. Um, I still want to make sure that stuff like that will be effectively instantaneous and fast. Um, it didn't seem to make too much of a difference when I was doing it because originally I did it per per soul and then grabbed the properties off the return instead of doing it with uh, doing all the souls. But now that I'm checking at the message level, it generates you know a lot more messages now. So if I have any additional logic per one. Uh, so they actually returned the data. Um, so it's just, I went and basically just fetched all this data 
uh, gun. And then this is through my, my login user. And then we can try it with a different user. Um, we'll just do a new one. So this doesn't have any permissions as far as anything is concerned. It shows up in auth connection, so it knows it's this person yet. Uh, but when I go to do that table, um, yeah, I get a permission denied on that git, nice. and uh, and it doesn't. It, does, it only it only tried to gain the first soul of the the time index, um, so it doesn't. It just stops basically right there, um, and I don't gain, even get any data from it. So um, that's the permissions working. So nice. Wow, that's pretty cool. Are the, are the permissions on the data itself embedded on the data? Uh, it's it's all in the database. Uh, so basically, it just looks it up on, on how I have my souls configured um, and how I have inheritance. So uh, let's see if it's loaded. So basically, I have like my, my configuration. I don't know if you can see this or not. I can, try to make it I can see it. Yeah. Um, so I just have like, okay, here's my base ID and then I alias it with a name and then it has properties of a table. Uh, the table has an alias and then it has properties of columns and then those columns have all these other, you know, just configuration data basically. Um, and then this is where there's inherent permissions to true at the base level. So it's saying, um, if you try to get, you know, a row that's on one of these tables, uh, it's saying, you know, look to the table first for permissions. Don't look at the row. Um, and then this table will have its own permissions. Um, and it will look up the table's permissions. The permission doesn't have any there. Uh, it will go look at the base permissions. Um, and then if that doesn't have any permissions, then I'll say, hey, are you an admin or a super? And then you go from there. So I just kind of, I built, I built the, you know, you can build whatever logic you want code, but that's kind of how I approached it. Um, mm -hmm. Just for my, for my own, my own ends, so. Um, cause like my, so the, the example I used was, uh, here's what I put in the example, but my actual one is a mess. <laughs> um, so I got all like the local reads and stuff in here. Uh, so there's a lot of logic to try to figure out, you know, if you can add a person to a group or not. Um, so like, here's the beginning of my thing. So here's the client auth, uh, where I send the message for the client. Uh, here's where the server would verify it with that, that call. Um, this add header is no longer needed because I'm not adding headers. Uh, there's a client left. So this is, this looks exactly the same as what I put. This is similar, except I have a couple different specific souls that I'm looking at, um, that I'm going to pass through on gets. And then, you know, on puts, I have one, one other soul to bootstrap, uh, verify. This is where I was doing with the header method. Um, and then, so like when I get my test request, it's, it's huge because I have to figure out, and I'm changing how I do this. And that's part of what I'm changing, uh, why it didn't work because I was on the wrong branch because I had already started on redoing all this, uh, changing how my soul structure is to make this a lot simpler to do. Um, cause I was just basically <laughs> trying to determine, okay, well this soul has this cause I, I've been kind of hacking on this thing for a couple of months now. So I kind of just like, Oh, we'll just put this here for now and this will work. And now it all shows up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going back now to make this simpler, but basically I'm saying, Hey, if, if it has the vertical bar in anywhere, since I just added that, um, that's a permission thing. Um, and so I can grab all the permission nodes separately. And if they're at this point, they're a put because my gets are all whitelisted. Anything that has a vertical bar that you're trying to get and read, I let pass through, even if you're not logged in, 
same with my config data. So I can build my database, my structure and build, and I can see all the permissions without actually needing to check anything. Uh, so basically I know this is a put. Someone's trying to change, uh, change my um, uh, permissions somehow. And I got to figure out, okay, if they're trying to change a super, they're probably trying to create a new base. Uh, and this is where um, I do my get souls a little more different than what I posted, but true is going to say, Hey, look local on this first, you know, look on disc and see if you can find it. Um, if, if you can't find it, um, you know, we need to, uh, create a new one right here. Like I said, logic's kind of messy. I, I've been <laughs> thrashing on this, but, um, so basically I just have a way to know that this is a brand new creative creation of this node. Now I have this super and then this, and then everything after that works with my normal logic because, um, I have what an as it is admin call that looks for admin group, but it also then falls back to is super. So I think I can create my admin group without doing any special logic because I mean, I just bootstrapped that with, with creating the super lot, uh, soul. So in this scheme, you are, you, all your data is owned by a group and a user either has access or is either in that group or not in that group. Correct. I did all group based. I mean, kind of the sets of set things it's 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 just the easiest way i can reason about trying to do it um so like i don't know if it's the right way of doing it but that's how i'm approaching at least my first version um to where each each group can have different permissions at different levels and like i said if i have local read i can see if they're actually creating so i could have a create uh you know only an admin can create the data but you know a, a user could edit the data or something like that um so there's a lot of different logic in here for uh, like here's all the group group membership stuff. Um, so if you're uh, changing group permissions, so the weird thing about groups, groups themselves are the permissions, but someone has to have permissions of the permission of the group. <laughs> so it's like permissions of permissions because you're whoever can be in that group can have permissions. So you have to be careful who can yeah. add people to the group because otherwise you can bootstrap and have security links that way. That's right. Um, so I'm basically I have a specific a special permission for the group of add and remove. Um, and they have to be in that group. Um, and so you have this, it's, it gets, you know, it's groups all the way down. <laughs> uh, so trying to figure out how to do, I have to do user defined groups yet. Right now it's basically admin defined groups is the only groups that you can do, but, um, I'm going to make a, a scheme for, uh, basically user defined groups using a verified public key. And then they have like their own subgraph of groups that they can pick from. And then they have edit permissions on, um, so that way they can create their own admin group for their own subgraph then, and they can just kind of duplicate the structure if they wanted to of how I'm using it at the database level. Until the whole world is a graph. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, long-term is just something that I had done, uh, to make it, make it kind of work. And this is, this is actually from gun itself. Uh, and I just copy and paste it cause I needed to look local and couldn't figure out how to do it otherwise. So, um, I kind of copied the same pattern or copy and paste this out of there. And then, uh, I can basically look up, I import, uh, at the top of this somewhere. Uh, yeah, I import, um, free disk and then, uh, RFS and then I instantiate radius. And uh, it was, I think it's R R a, I think in Ghana, I call it RA data, but, um, and then I can operate on my actual RA data folder on my disk. Um, I'm proud to say there is a documentation on that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go out that. without any docs. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to see if I could do it without copying and pasting and trying to, you know, 
some of the stuff I could have left uncommented, but I was just trying to reason through it. And I'm like, I should never need this because it'll always be a string. So I just try to make it easier to see. Um, but yeah, so that's what you'd probably do a better job writing the documentations than I could. <laughs> um, you've I, been I, able yeah. to successfully get the data out, the gun data out of RAD, because gun has its own structure that RAD doesn't know about. That gun. Oh, that's why I import. That's why I import Radix and Radix, and then I I actually use. That's why I copy and pasted this directly out of Gun, uh, because I wanted to get my Gun data, not just data period, because uh, I wanted I wanted to pretend like it was a, a is an, a wire return. So I wanted to, I basically wanted to create my own wire message from my disk, uh, <laughs> without making an actual Gun call through the API, because uh, otherwise it'd emit, emit on wire and that wouldn't solve my problem because it'd be on wire then. Uh, and I would have data coming in that I'm trying to find from from the disk. Um, and I, it might have changed now. I might not actually need to do this, actually, now I think about it. Uh, originally, I was doing it, I was trying to diff filter different in messages, different ways to figure out what was what. Um, and I think now doing it, I could probably just do a gun call. I wouldn't actually need to read from disk. Um, but I I know at one point I had a problem where Again, I did a lot of thrashing on this, so I could be wrong now, but I thought I had one point, if I did a git request uh, to, the, to the super peer, and then I was checking the git here, and then I would, and then on the super peer, I would get the same data, I would ask for the exact same soul, even though it would be, un, it would be undefined on disk, um, I would get the data that's sitting, that already came in on the end message from memory on my gun call within uh, that message that was coming in. So like it was getting it from memory at some point, but, um, I could have had my filtering different too, because originally I was filtering like three different types of in messages and they were all like different. And, you know, I, I one was like the one that has mem, which is, was, was coming from, uh, rad. Uh, and then like one was coming, um, I forget, I forget what they all were now, but, um, I changed it around now to I just look at is it has a via ID because then I know it's an outside message and not an inside message. And I was trying to basically filter out by looking at message properties, you know, is this an inside or an outside message? And then I figured out that I could do the the underscore uh, via ID and then I could I could know that that's an outside message. So it was just kind of my misunderstanding of how uh, how it was working at the time. Um, so I might actually not need to read from this now, and I still might get an undefined, even though the message itself is coming in. I haven't tried that yet, but um, I just got this working yesterday. <laughs> so. Congrats. So. Um, I know that Goldfish is asking for a similar thing where it's, he is asking for it to be on wire, where you can send a wire request and get directly from disk without it emitting to anybody else. Yeah, and I would use that same thing. That basically what I was trying to do there was was how do I how do I go through the gun itself because that was my problem is that on disk it's like you said you can't get the gun data from RA data unless you know it's gun. Uh, you know, gun has to you know parse it basically, and that was kind of the same issue I was running into. So I think that's probably what he's trying to figure out is does does disk have you know RA or, you know does it have any key that matches this on on disk and you know. Can I ask you a couple questions about that so that so yeah. that way hopefully you know I can improve the wire utility. My original design had been kind of like okay if people want to make sure that they are making queries local and aren't 
going to get remitted to other gun peers, that they would instantiate a secondary gun database that is empty, so no peers connected, and then do read and writes from there. But clearly not very many people have done that. I don't even know whether that would wind up resulting in good behavior or not. Um, and it's not intuitive either. So, well, or, or maybe it's not intuitive. Do you think it is a better approach? Mm. What do you think makes more sense at the long run? That like when you do a gun API call that you can like override the peers that you, you're wanting to send the request to or that such that then it goes in, it won't go out to any other peers and it goes to disk and you get a response and that all stays local. Um, or do you get pretty for like server importing, you know, like if you import, like you could transfer the file local. Cause that's probably my problem right now. I think with importing on a, on a, on a peer is that it has to send all these messages back and forth and you get a lot of traffic on the wire. Um, whereas if, if you know, you just want to get this basically into on your disc, you know, you could, you could move the file directly to, you know, your super peer. And if your super peer had this ability to, uh, write locally more or less without admitting, uh, your client wouldn't know when it's imported, but you could still, you know, give like a confirmation back or something that, you know, you, you could get it all in without having to necessarily go through all the, um, you know, distributed part of it. And then when you do your get again, it would get it from disc and say, Hey, I do have all this data you just sent me. Um, to where, um, I could see, I could see a use case for that for like trying to import large, large sums of data. Cause I think that's kind of where some of the, my import problems had come before was that it's, it's just a lot of messages going back and forth and it, it, it works. I've only problem really had probably importing when I was in the user sphere, but I did like with just guns straight up. Um, I, it, I get a lot of hackers, but it would all end up on disk and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any data miss, but with user, with the signing and stuff, it was, it was really funky because I would get all of some and then it would just not get any of others. Um, and so that was kind of, kind of weird too, because I can try importing per property instead of per node. Cause I was saying, Oh, I put the whole node in as one thing and then it, it's got all these properties on it. So I just didn't get any of it. But even if I imported it per property, it would not have any of the, uh, it, the soul still wouldn't get created even though I, I sent it per property. So you think, Oh, if some of them got messages got missed, you'd have, you know, three of the 10 properties or something. Um, so it was, it was kind of weird when I was doing with user and I could see that, um, you know, that might solve some of the, you know, communication issues. You still have the signing and verifying, but if, if you can do it on the server, that'd be nice. But again, if you're using user, you're going to be more in a peer to peer setting. So it's kind of all off the table unless you're running your own no node server trying to do this. Um, which well, could be an option. Imagine that you have like party.lol as the browser extension and you go to a, an app and you want to access your profile. Like you don't really necessarily want to be pulling your data from Bob or Joe. You want to as quickly as possible pull your data from your local instance, even if it's just in the browser, right? Mm -hmm. And right now, when you go to make that query, there's no, there's no like prioritization. It just, it asks everybody and it gets responses mm -hmm. from everybody. Um, so I could see still even in the browser, not just on a, you know, a Node.js instance that you might want to only talk to yourself where it's like, oh, talk to myself first. If I get any data back, let's only use that, right? But if I 
get but if I don't get data back, then cascade the query to other people. Yeah, I think that's kind of what um, Not a Bug wants too. Uh, he wants to be able to to basically he's doing it on a super peer. He wants to know basically is this put a new put uh, and not just an update put. And I think that's his distinction. And for him to get an undefined right now, he has to wait on network because uh, he's got to get you know undefined back from a bunch of people. And he wants to know as quick as he can that what he's asking for is undefined. Oh, that was so, that was my understanding what his problem was. He just needs to get he needs to get a null really fast for uh, a create on on a super peer. Okay, that makes more sense. I I oh, thank you for when I'm scanning through the hundreds <laughs> of pages, I I sometimes kind of miss the the more depth of it. Cool. Um. Anything else, Julian, in terms of demos and code that you want to show off? Um, uh, not really. Yeah, I mean, I, I did. I, I had the um, um, gun time graph thing. I mean, I have the code here, but it's it's basically very similar to to Levi's code. Um, and now that I've learned as much as I have about gun, I, I want to go back and <laughs> change how I did it. <laughs> um, so that might be um, something that I can post. I can post that particular. I put it in its own file and I had it as disconnected from my thing as possible because I figure people might want to reuse it. Um, and so I can I can uh, I can post that in the Gitter uh, so that way people can see it because um, I literally just copy and pasted what what uh, Levi had and then started changing it to kind of be what I want. And the, the trick I had was trying to figure out um, knowing when uh, I had all the souls on all of the bins uh, across all of them. Cause you, you know, you kind of send this, you send this query out saying, Hey, give me all this, this uh, from this time range to this time range. And as soon as you hit the first soul that has, you know, three different souls on it, your, your code all splits into three different branches then. But, you know, every time a branch gets to an end, uh, uh, code gets to the end of a branch, I say, hey, is all my branches finished so I can return, you know, I can fire the callback with the actual result. So I took a while to figure that out. And I don't know that it's very, uh, like, the CSC way to do it, but, because uh, I'm not a CS, but. <laughs> don't put yourself down. If you are doing parallel async um, wire <laughs> operations calls, that's, that's about as complicated everything is going to be. Um, so well, I think that's probably the slowness right now. In my implementation of time graph is is how I'm checking that because I have to check on everything. Um, and I think I think how I'm doing that could be potentially improved because I was, uh, you know, <laughs> it was a weird problem to solve. I didn't think that way before, so I had not a lot of experience with it. <laughs> Was there, so part of the point of at least, and, and we can, you know, do more of this later, one-on-one uh, -on -one if you want. Um, but part of the point with getting on call was for me to actually help you if there was any questions you had. But it seems like you've, you've struggled these weeks <laughs> and figured out everything. And now that I'm on call, you actually have stuff working. And, uh, and it, was, it was good learning, though. Like, ultimately, like, I, I want to better understand it so that way I'm, I, I, can, I can figure out what I want to build from that, you know, and, and, you know, having you tell me what it was, you know, help me in the short term, but it's one of those short term, long term trade offs, you know, like, it's, it's, I would, I'd like, oh, yeah, that's how I do it quick, it's working, but like, I wouldn't be able to see, you know, the other layers of the onion that I'm, you know, would be helpful to know for building new or different things. So like, it's, 
it's one of those things that it's it's good to see you kind of say yes that is my reasoning is correct at least so i know that what i did learn was was not off in left field so yeah wire spec is chatty yeah (laughs) biggest thing i noticed well then uh darian do you wanna is it okay if we hand it off to Dario to yeah yeah uh, that's all I had was this stuff so okay so uh, you guys w- wanna know a little bit uh, how uh, what are we working on right yeah I'd love to see yes and... okay um, okay so I'm <clears throat> I'm working for Good Dollar Project I, I don't know if you heard about I think, uh, like. Two years ago, a year and a half ago, you did a demo or something of it. Uh, yeah, well, I haven't, right? But uh, probably Adar, I think, or maybe some guy in Good Dollar, uh, because they propose uh, to use GAN, and and uh, well, I'm working on it right now, and and I'm I'm not the the one that has all the answers or. Um, but um, yeah, he, um, so this project is a is a DAP, right? So for uh, and it's I think I can share the the GitHub because it's public in GitHub. Uh, so you're not screen sharing yet, just as a yeah. Okay, so I I will do it right now. I think it's better that. Says share screen. Okay. Okay. So um, we're working on Good Dollar Project, right? Um, and our app currently is um, it's a DAP. So we are connecting with uh, with a blockchain, and we have uh, or the aim is to have users. Uh, uh, to have his wallet, and we are using, and his wallet is, uh, you know, a wallet address. Uh, in some of the networks, we are using Fuse, but it can be Coban or whatever. Um, the the idea is that uh, the user has a has a wallet in a, in the blockchain, and therefore he has a currency, a good dollars or. Uh, the coin for the for the network, whatever, and we want to match these users, w- these addresses, with uh, actual people, with an actual profile, with an avatar, a name, and having a, an identity for for these people, right? So what what we are doing is to have this profile storing GAN and and matching with the wallet address in in the chain in order to to have a profile for a people so you can i'm sh- i think i have to move this so this is the app right so i think if i create here this is one of the features that we are working on but uh, let's say this uh, I can recover this wallet. I think 
So let's say I have two different users here. And so I want to send to John Doe, I can using John Doe wallet, um, get, well, this is not working fine, but, and I think that this is the problem. Let me check if I can fix this. Yeah, man. I need to put actual data here. And after I do this, I think I can choose an image, whatever. So I place an image, it worked. So let's check again right now. Um, yeah, didn't work. Is that loading from GAN? Yeah, that, this is the part that is loading for, loading for GAN. I might be, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know what, what's happening here, but it should be um, getting this guy info. I'm going to refresh just in case because I don't, I can't remember if it should work. So if I send, yeah, it's oh, not no. yeah something is not working. Well, the idea is that is we we are getting this user uh, from GAN, and yeah, it's something weird with the with the data because I'm switching branches, and uh, since the users are stored differently depending on versions, uh, sometimes work. I have to uh, delete all and 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 check again, I, I, but it should work and it was working right now. So the idea is we have the GAN profile. So we have, um, <coughs> I think I can show this here, like say for GAN, uh, get users. So we are indexing by, by email, by mobile, and by wallet address. So we can get, uh, if I get by, get. How by, did you do that? <laughs> because gun doesn't natively return a promise. Yeah, I, 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 I always thought that I needed the den, but it just works. Not sure why. Yeah. That might well, be. maybe, well, actually, uh, let me check because we have this gun extend. So maybe something that we are doing here, uh, okay. but, but I don't think so. I think that that works like, uh, even without doing the den, but Okay, that, I mean, that's, that's cool, although that's not necessarily, that shouldn't necessarily work. So 
be warning that that might break in the future. Ah, uh, okay. It's working now, but hey. Okay. So, well, that's the idea, right? So I, I can get, uh, get this guy and so this is the profile for this guy and we are showing the the name and we are indexing by wallet or by actually uh, you can the thing that it's not yet done is these fields are always uh, are not public so a user cannot be um, indexed by by email or our, or by phone right now, but we are working on that in order to 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 allow the user to change the the privacy settings for each field and therefore be uh, searchable by name or by user um, and also because you can also send like by email if if you want to. And in this case, we cannot. Uh, in this case, we cannot get the actual user if the user is if the email is not public. So we're working on on that thing right now. Um, but yeah, well, that's what we are doing with Gan. And Nice. Would yeah. you would you mind adding one more in the console? We do um, press up and then do add a dot git profile on that. Yeah. And okay, cool. So email, name, mobile address, sweet. Um, yeah. The, if you see these. Uh, You see, this is how we are storing the values, like a display value, a mm. privacy setting, and the actual value. So this value is encrypted, and we can uh, the user is able to actually show it. Um, and then, if it's masked, uh, there is this display value that everyone can see, but uh, you can't look for for this guy because it's so. You, you don't actually know how, how is his email, but you can that's, see. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that you already have uh, C working on encrypting the data, with the ciphertext and stuff. Um, nice, nice. How long, have you get, how long have you been working on this? Uh, well, actually, I, I've been working on this like uh, from this year, all this year. Um, there is, uh, but uh, actually, Adar, the, the guy who designed this, the, the guy, the, this way to store the values, I, I think that he was already working on this before. Um, but I, I'm not actually, I, I, I don't actually guy, know about that. The guy is not there anymore? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not here. I'm here. I'm in Argentina. He's in Israel, and um, okay. I, I'm not sure when when he started with this. Uh, so we work in different companies, but in the same project. And he he he's actually working in. He's actually he actually works in Good Dollar in the 
in eToro company and, and, and I'm not. So um, I'm working on the project, but uh, uh, I don't have all the ins insights, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah, clear. And so, yeah, the, the uh, encrypted data, that's, that's purely with C? Sorry, I didn't get that. The, the encrypted data that is uh, only using the C API from Gun? Uh, yeah, it's using the C API. Yeah, we have, this is like the problem that we, that I think because it, this is an experiment, it's not been solved yet, but as you can see, all, all that things are here in the local storage. So it's not, uh, it, it, like, it's not a really good way of keeping these values because I have here the mnemonic so I can, it's easily, it's easy to, to, to store this, but, um, you know, the idea is to, to show how, uh, this should work and, uh, probably doing native applications in which you are, you will be able to to store this in in an isolated place uh, where nobody actually can get from. Um, and then I don't know I, I don't know how are we going to solve this problem in the browser, uh, but you know it's an experiment. The idea is to look how the wallet works if it makes sense and, and then we'll address that problem, I think. <laughs> because you don't need to use local storage, right? If I'm correct. Um, well, it's just that if you do get any cross-site scripting yeah. um, bugs, then somebody could jack the local storage data. Um, or, you know, I mean, even, if you're, even if your keys are only in memory and they're not in storage, is got to be really careful that keys can't get stolen. I, I would recommend you guys switch over to starting to use, like, I, um, I know Party is advertising itself towards, like, oh, have fun and stuff, but Party is also for doing the key management underneath. Party will automatically overload the C API on any web app, and then all uh, C operate, all cryptographic operations happen inside of the browser extension. So it acts as a secure enclave. So the application that's running doesn't, won't ever have access to the private keys. I know you're working with some MetaMask integration. How does that fold into the, the secure enclave stuff? Well, originally they, I was trying to get them to be the browser extension for that. And they said it's going to take them at least two months for them to implement a hook system for other protocols like gun and secure scuttlebutt and stuff to connect into MetaMask. And I was like, I don't really have two months to wait. And so he said, like, just publish your own browser extension because we'll also have a way to interoperate with other browser extensions that are running with MetaMask. So I was like, okay, that sounds good. And they might actually be done with those hooks. 
I, I should message them again. But I knew that when an engineer says two months, and I'm an engineer, right? <laughs> when an engineer said two months, that, that probably means, you know, like multiply by three or four. And it's going to take them uh, six or eight months. So I just have to check back in to see if their API for that is ready. And then we can do the integration. Um, the, the integration though is still going to require in MetaMask that you add, like you, MetaMask is kind of going to have a, a type of store that you can add other coins or protocols like Secure Scuttlebutt and Gun, um, or you know, and other DWeb projects or blockchain projects. And so you'd still have to go into MetaMask and add Gun as a and C as an extension um, inside of the extension. But, um, so I'm just kind of waiting on them for that. Yeah, well, this project, one of the goals was this wallet needs to work without a browser extension. Yeah. Uh, so it, it can, so this, this wallet needs to work without a MetaMask or without any other extension. So um, that's what we are trying to do. and. And that's why we are delaying handling this problem, the, the local storage problem, because it's not quite solved yet. And I know, don't uh, think browsers ever are going yeah. to solve it. Um, yeah, and it, but it might be it might be okay if if we have like uh, you need to register first in the application, and you get there your your credentials. And then you can use it in the web by recovering your your wallet, which is a feature that we already have. So if you if we create this wallet in the in an application, and we actually get the credentials in, in a secure environment, and then the user is able to recover this wallet in the web, that might work. And I think that's one of the the ideas or, or of the uh, options that we have uh, I think when it's it came to that point. Be able to log in from uh, different devices, but I, I, it drives me nuts when various apps require that I have to have my phone in order to log in. My phone is my least secure item, um, but everybody acts like it's my most secure item. My phone is the thing that I lose the most. Yeah. Um, and so it, I, I think pretty much all this two-factor authentication, uh, quote, security stuff is, is very, is bad practice and, and is producing a worse, a worse world in context of, um, well, you lose your phone and now your identity is gone. And then <laughs> how, well, how do you then recover your phone? Well, you have to have your phone in order to recover your account. So then it just leads to this problem. Now, so I very much agree with you though that the experience should work out of the box without having to have an app or an extension. And that's part of why I designed C such that it just works as a script tag that you can include and it works in the browser. Um, but the cool thing I'm trying to do is that if any user of any C app wants to become more secure, they can just install an extension 
and the extension will then provide them with C from the extension and all applications using C will automatically upgrade immediately to use the secure enclave. Now compare that to let's say um, these other systems where they all require you to have the browser extension first. And I agree, that's a bad way to go. Is then if people want to create a, uh, an experience that works out of the box in the browser, they create one code structure, right? But then they say, oh, now I want to support MetaMask. Now they have to have a second code structure. And now they're dealing with two different paths of code, multiple different, you know, and it's just, it's miserable. Um, with having this architecture for C, that it by default works in the browser and the keys are therefore going to be in memory, right? Which is not the best, but hey, at least it works and people, that's better security than, than Facebook and Google because now you actually own your own data and it's encrypted on your behalf and Facebook and Google can't view your data. But then users can slowly evolve to use um, a browser extension and there's no code change that the, the develop, that you, the browser, uh, the, the application developer has to do. And then it gets even better, right? Once a hardware wallet is supported because the browser extension or an Electron app or something is able to proxy and communicate with the hardware wallet that's plugged in, then the hardware wallet can automatically become the secure enclave and all of the, the private keys stay there, not even in the browser extension and not even in the, in the um, web app. And that means now the web developer, one API, one code path works all the way through even when hardware wallet um, support gets added at some, some point. And I think that's, like, yes, that's the right way to go. Start with web technology, like you're saying, um, and then add each new feature as a layer that can be composed on top. And then the users can just opt into better security. I know you had a uh, user recall and that goes in session storage. I, I don't know if that, does that actually work right now or not? Or how, how secure is session storage versus local storage? <laughs> Session storage is not any more secure than local storage, but it gets wiped every time you exit all the tabs. So therefore it's less likely to leak information. It persists for less time than you're going to catch it. I try and differentiate security <laughs> and ephemerality <laughs> and obscurity. Um, not that you can't, I honestly think that most everything should just kind of be security by obscurity, but um, unfortunately I'm a library developer, so I don't get to make the choice. <laughs> Application developers have to make that choice. And so I have to make sure the library is able to, I have to make sure that I'm always catering to the most conservative audience, whether that be they want true security with cryptography, whether they are still running internet explorer, right? Um, as an application developer, you can choose, I want to ignore Internet Explorer users. As a library developer, I can't really do that because I don't get to make the shots about your users. You do. Um, well, I should say, I don't even want you to make the shots about your own users because I want the users to make their own decisions. But um, ultimately, yeah, I, I, as a library developer, I have to like <laughs> make sure things 
work out of the box and don't cut off corporate, gov- you know, government hackers, uh, blockchain people from doing uh, the subset of users that they want to access. <coughs> well, um, QV Dev, do you have any other demos that you want to show or any questions? Um, no, I'm nothing to show. I had a question, but I lost it. So uh, I think I need to postpone this uh, for next time. Uh, <laughs> what's your biggest challenge right now with your streaming as far as what's your, what, what are you trying to overcome right now? Nothing related to gun. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm not a, I'm not a JavaScript developer. And I was yesterday playing with uh, Raygun from James. Uh, I just, I, I just, I'm not good at Java, uh, JavaScript. Uh, so that's my biggest issue. <laughs> Nothing with Gun. Um, not it actually works very good. And yeah, you could you could see it last week with the the stream. And it, it, I was insanely surprised with everything. <laughs> Me um, too. Yeah, was is the stream actually uh, transmitting the all the packet data through the um, WebSocket? Uh, I think so. I assume yes, because uh, I also tried to use it outside, where behind a VPN or whatever, behind a uh, in in a corporate office, and I, I'm not able to see anything, right? Because the WebSocket connection closes or I, I don't have web sockets uh, there so huh. I'm not able to see anything or stream for that matter with gun if my web socket is uh, oh mate that, that was also my question yes so how do I overcome this can I turn off the web socket actually it's good, it's good that you know, there was a not my question that I had in mind but it is something that bothered me so I, I'm not able, if WebSocket is blocked, to, to, to use the app, basically. So I can stream. So like, how would you close the WebSocket stream and reopen it? No. Uh, is there anything around? Oh, or is it literally built upon WebSocket? And if, you don't, uh, if you're not able to use WebSocket, basically, I cannot use Gun. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so Gun is built on top of, uh, no, no, that's not true. Um, uses DAM, Daisy Chain Ad Hoc Mesh Networking, and DAM has a bunch of plugins to it. The various plugins are um, WebSockets is the default one, WebRTC, um, that can be included, but you know, you know, you've played with WebRTC yourself in the past, and WebRTC has... Terrible reliability, um, and that's why I do make WebSockets as a default, not WebRTC. WebSocket uh, Dam now has a multicast transport, um, so that way, if you are in a, if you're within inside of a router, everybody in, connected to that Wi-Fi router, you can just stream um, packets, uh, gun packets too. So what that means is if you're using WebRTC, Gun is underneath choosing UDP. Uh, Gun is under. Uh, sorry, I should say Dam is underneath choosing to send Gun data via um, UDP packets. And then same thing with multicast. If you are using the multicast um, library, which is now turned on by default, 
okay. um, for Node.js, then if you're with inside of that subnet, then people are going to be receiving it via UDP um, packets. So web WebSockets is the only HTTP upgrade path. Um, they're used to at the very, very, very beginning of Gun. The default was a, an HTTP long polling, uh, JSONP. But the issue is Chrome started restricting how many um, simultaneous connections you could have, and mm -hmm. it, <laughs> that just trashed Gun's performance. It was completely unusable. If you basically did two two queries, uh, you you know you have an up, you have a down, and the up and a down um, have to run. Thanks for the demo. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, basically Chrome would limit it to six connections and so you could only make three requests because in HTTP, you know, there's a request for going up and there's a request to push down and I was like, that's unusable. So I eventually made WebSockets the default. Um, and then you could plug in... And that's good for now, right? I mean, uh, uh, yeah, no, it, it works perfectly. Bluetooth so is nothing. hopefully on the horizon as well. Okay, that's cool, yeah. Uh, yeah, so to answer the question, no, no gun-related issues actually. Uh, I had the first time I streamed, there was an issue with Canvas. Apparently that is very slow. Which one? So, Canvas, just HTML Canvas. I was drawing it on the Canvas and then streaming it along. That was very slow apparently. Uh, and then uh, after fixing that, after the first session, it, all went good with Gun. I also don't use any wire or any deep code from Gun, so it is just really get and map and and the 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 ones. So I just get the map and then on every incoming stream I I get everything. Wow. Uh, yeah, very 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 happy surprise with it. So I I'm just taking I'm just going along with the project to to maybe indeed have some uh, meeting stuff like this. Not so advanced, but just to see multiple connections coming in, how this is working, and then hopefully also with sound. Sound is my biggest issue, to be quite honest, but still not related to gun. So I think maybe more issues come up when there are multiple connections, so multiple incoming streams, but because you connected with more people, it might be just uh, solving the issue by itself if there is even an issue i i don't even think there would be a performance with, issue yeah with webrtc um you'd be able to directly send each image to each peer without going through any relay peers the issue is you know like the bandwidth overhead does go up and up and up for for every new message i i still think that the probably the right approach if there winds up being a slowdown is to trying uh, this is what i'm imagining are you able to resize the image before sending like the source buffer let you shrink now up front i have the uh, base 64 data right that's also how i send it along uh, it, it needs to be a string because right right what being uh I can I can do any manipulation upfront, uh, filters, whatever. Uh, also, uh, computer vision stuff. 
Uh, so I can reduce the size as well. Uh, that's what I actually, yeah. So I saw on 4G and actually very slow. So I'm buffering and it doesn't really work outside the Wi-Fi at the moment. <laughs> so I need to reduce there the size, I guess. Because, I mean, it is very, uh, very, very heavy. Because I think so, what would be cool is if you see our current chat and um, it kind of switches when you start talking, it'd be really neat if, we, you could intelligently basically detect that, okay, there is some video in the call. And if they're not the person actively talking into the microphone, then effectively don't bother sending out the high resolution, you know, video of that person down sample it down to like a hundred pixels. And then you're just sending, you know, these small chunks of the 64 data. Um, and, and, like here's the thing, like you were streaming the the, the HD uh, base 64, so you could easily put probably 10 people's faces in a single uh, frame that you were sending before, and then you can just ship all of the small faces, and then once somebody starts talking, you know, you could scale it up and then start sending the full resolution. Um, so I, I'm like, yeah, I'm just really curious. I'm I was mind blown that the performance was working well enough for the full uh full hd video yeah. like i can see i can see like the the wrinkle marks and the sweat on the on the soccer players i'm like wow yeah and everything also went good besides in the first down from the roku server where i hosted this i have an update i just deployed it once but it also went good after it went off as well so at the end, it's just one uh, Node.js server. So, but yeah, yeah what you talk, there's a lot of optimization. And if you really want to make a meeting app, I don't think that's the goal. I, I was more one too many because the biggest issue what WebRTC has is the one too many, not the one to one, not the yeah. one to five, the one too many. So if you look at uh, what apps are there, if you look for Periscope, for instance, that is a big issue for WebRTC. Uh, and that is what I'm more trying to see how, how gun is uh, surviving this. So one too many, right? So uh, I'm, that should be actually very good, I think, uh, because yeah, you're just putting it out out there. So that is that is more interesting than the one the meeting stuff because you know, the, the, for those you can web RTC and there's a lot of complicated complic uh, applications like Zoom or whatever meeting, that is not very interesting. I think it's very interesting for one too many uh, application where WebRTC is really, really failing because I'm, it's my bandwidth for every, every single user and it's not my bandwidth with uh, the gun. Right. You, um, the live stream app that's just up on a GitHub code and it looks like it's simple enough that like, it, um, it's simple enough that somebody could just like copy and then start their own version, right? I'm working on that as well. So yeah, I want to put it in GitHub. The code is uh, quite a mess. I've rewrote it now, I don't know, six times. Uh, I want to make indeed uh, a streamer package or whatever you call it in uh, JavaScript and a viewer package. So Someone just can put it on this website and say, okay, this is my video element. I start the recording button 
and then whoever wants can just uh, input the the, the viewer. That, that is my ultimate goal for now, uh, to have that more simple. And that will be probably on GitHub as well, and, and people can start playing around. And then can just make one extra request. Yeah. Can you make a copy of the most simplified, like basically the minimum via, you know, the MVP that you got working that first time? Could you make a separate copy of that? So that way, you know, when you do go to add any extra features, I want to be able to look at your source code and learn from like the basic, like here's how to use source buffer. Here's how to, you know, base 64 and connect it to gun. That would be super, super, super valuable for a lot of people in the community to just see like, okay, here's the, the full fledged, you know, kind of uh, NPM package, that you can include, you know, the service, the, the app or whatever that you built um, that you can check, uh, that you can use. But then here's like the how to get started if you want to build your own from scratch type thing. Because the fact that you got it yeah. working. Yeah, we discussed it, uh, I think what was the last week or two weeks ago, to, to write something up. Uh, it's uh, with gun, but also the source buffer because source buffer is, uh, I mean, it doesn't even work on Safari or in uh, Mozilla, right? Apparently, I didn't know. It doesn't uh, work in Mozilla, no. No, it doesn't. No, uh, uh, so this is, I did, if it's useful, probably only for the Chrome users at the moment. Uh, but I would like to write something up and I can use all of your input, what is useful to write. Because I'm not very deep in the gun, like you guys. It's very dark here, I see. I'm not so deep in the gun code, uh, to, 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 but I, I'm learning from you guys there. Uh, so I don't know how interesting this is. Maybe it's more thing outside the gun with, uh, with some reference to gun because I'm using gun. Yeah, I'd be most interested in the, the stuff around what you're doing before it goes in the gun. Yeah. But it's not that's not related to gun. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but it'd uh, be very helpful to have for the community so that way they can see how they can take that source buffer um, with the, the code that you've set up and know that it can be passed into gun. Um, so yeah. just as soon as you are able to share the, the code, it'd be great, even if, even if you think it's messy. Um, it's, it's way far ahead what a lot of other people in the gun community and outside of the gun community are already doing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think also a pro of this, uh, to show, uh, this, that, yeah. Okay. The, the trade-offs that, that I made, because I've been working, uh, for a while on this also prior to gun and that this actually, this was the solution to all, all my issues that I had from other technologies. So I think that's a nice thing. I cannot measure anything. I haven't measured anything, so I cannot really state, but yeah, the, the, the test is enough that uh, with gun it's possible and that I can be more in depth, etc. What about- But I definitely want to put some code uh, once I'm fully, fully convinced on this and it takes some time as well. So- uh, QV Dev, what, what is your name? Dirk, D-I-R-K. I will put it in the chat, so... Oh, Dirk, okay. Um, yeah. uh, so, um, I guess a question that comes to mind is, um, have you set up like a testing, um, uh, like a testing rig for this? Because I know there's like headless Chrome 
or headless uh, chromium. Mm -hmm. So you could launch, a, if you know how to like run a test to see if you're getting what you should be getting, right? Like yeah. maybe you could take a picture of, uh, sorry, take video of one channel, then another channel, then, and I don't mean channel of content, I mean a color channel, right? Then you could run the test to see if that's coming through at the right time in the chrome, uh, chromium, um, uh, headless okay. chromium. And then you could run maybe f uh, just for 10 minutes, you could run like 500 nodes on AWS um, in different data centers, and you could test how the network functions. Okay. Do you, do you do you know how to spin up 500 nodes? Yeah, I do. I, I'm very good with, um, I, I have a lot of depth in like AWS and Docker. Okay. I have no understanding in, in, in that whatsoever, right? So I know the headless Chrome, etc. Uh, I, I Also for this, I haven't used any servers. I just deployed the one to the Heroku and mm -hmm. I just, everything is local. I don't need complicated servers. I don't need to have a Node.js or whatever. Everything works without installing everything. And that's also sure. my goal. I want to have it as simple as possible. Yeah, and I don't uh, mean like that you would want that as part of your infrastructure, but I mean as like, I'm just thinking like, how gosh, how would I test an application like yeah. this? And it's really hard to know if it's actually functioning the way you want it to function unless you battle test it. So Yeah, and that, that's indeed something that I, I would like to, to have. I would like to have some performance test or at least some proof that okay this actually works with at least 100 or 200 sure. uh use even if it just had was broke and this is definitely i'm gonna look something uh to to have a look at also because i think this is very useful information for the gun community right because then we know how good it performs and how big you can scale basically jonah um that's really good that you mentioned that you know how to spin up 500 because we have a library from a long time ago called panic uh -huh. the distributed systems load and correctness um tool okay you write a test in any standard uh javascript testing framework whether it be jasmine mocha whatever and in that test you can specify i want all these different peers, Alice, Bob, Carl, Dave, I want browser peers, I want Node.js Okay, peers. got it, got it, uh-huh. And then you write the code for what you want them to run and Panic automatically runs it across all of those different peers. Now, the one thing it doesn't do is it doesn't know how to spin up those peers. Okay. So all those peers have to do is, if they're Node.js peer, they have to have Panic installed on them. Um, and if they are a... Um, if they're not, if they're like a browser, they just have to go to a website. Is Panic like an AWS wrapper? No, it does. There's, there. It's just, uh, it's just all pure JavaScript. Okay. So it'd be really cool though if you have really good experience with Docker and spinning up like 500 Amazon machines. Mm -hmm. If we could have you help us hook that into Panic, such that you that you know, panic could then call your code with Amazon credentials and then your code, your library would then um, automatically spin up all those machines with panic pre-installed on it. Sure, sure. Connect back to the panic orchestrator that then yeah. causes chaos to happen. Okay. And we 
we use this tool. I've successfully used it to test like split brains where um, a network gets severed in half and they're both doing updates. Okay. And then network reconnects that the data correctly syncs. I've used it to, I, I used it for testing my million writes where I have okay. a bunch of peers on my machine uh -huh. spin up and then start doing a bunch of writes. The issue is if all of these, when these tests are running on my machine or a couple machines that I have at my house, it's still all inside of the same network mm -hmm. area, right? Or if it's running on my machine, it's still, still running across four cores, right? So I don't necessarily have a guarantee that if it succeeded on my machine in my network, if it succeeded, like, I know that it can, hand, that gun can handle that type of scale and do this million writes and stuff. Uh -huh. But that doesn't necessarily mean that real world machines with certain dip with with in different geographical locations right. are going to be the same. So I want to be able to make sure that my tests that I can prove gun runs at a certain scale within side of a couple machines is also true um, across many different machines. Okay. So yeah, I would uh, maybe what we do is uh, you said Tuesday you're going to be in San Francisco. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. there all the time. So uh, maybe what I'll do is I'll come see you. And then when you're done, I don't know if you have time after that, or we could just meet up in person and write out a spec for it's it. Tuesday, it's Tuesday night mm -hmm. um, at the Internet Archive. So it gets over usually by 9.30, 10 o'clock. Okay. Um, I have a guy that's flying out from Toronto to teach me how to use WebGL. <laughs> um, okay. And he's going to be with me. But since it's nighttime and he does WebGL, I'm sure he'd be interested in discussing some distributed system stuff. So if you're okay with doing, you know, like uh, Tuesday late night after the, the meetup, um, we could probably try and hack out some ideas then. Okay. And go back. But I don't know how late you do or do not want to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on, it depends on actually on how I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah. I, but, uh, either way i'm happy to to um you know contribute some some code for that and uh you know uh oh you know yeah we can make it pretty easy to set it up it, it probably would be about a page of code awesome because if that's true then um it's pretty easy to write these panic tests you could do some crazy distributed systems testings on gun okay now, um, Julian and Dirk, of course, you guys are invited to come as well. Uh, it's a little bit far for me, but uh, where are I, you? I, I'm in Amsterdam, the, the Netherlands. Got it. So, so it's a little bit off. Uh, <laughs> but I think it is also an important thing uh, to have some stuff like this testable, right? Even if I can spin up some stuff easy. That, that's all now, always my main goal, to have stuff easy, right? Yes. So maybe you can take this for next week with you, try to have this as easy as possible, because I think that's very important to get a lot of attraction as well uh, towards the gun. But in general, I think things should not be complicated, because what you build with it is already complicated enough. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I'm very interested in this as well, that the testing, especially... How, how it holds so yeah okay very good well, yeah. right uh look up headless chromium or headless chrome i can't remember what it's called pigeon i i 
it's on my list of things to delve into, but um, what I would yeah, do I can that, well, if you have no task with it. What I'm saying is he'll, he should be able to write um, the test in JavaScript in panic and then panic will be able to automatically spawn those uh, machines oh. or Chrome. That's why I'm, so okay. that way okay. he doesn't even have to learn how to do the Node.js stuff. He just writes in JavaScript, you know, and, and a web browser even if you wanted um, some of the, the tests. Um, are you, have you used any um, like Mocha? or Jasmine? No, not at all, but that's fine. I did, uh, that's possible to do. Uh, so that, that's not a problem. And I can also help look into some stuff. So if there's needs, let me know. I can look into some stuff as well. Again, a huge, um, a huge benefit would be, would you be willing to commit the current code that you have uh, to GitHub because I'm, I'm like super curious to look at it more. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, that's not a problem. Um, no, that, that's, that would not be a problem, no. Not at all. I mean, yeah. there is nothing magic there. Uh, so let me, uh, yeah, let me, hopefully I can get that to do this week. I would like to clean a little bit up because it is a bit hecky, but... <laughs> I know yeah, that everybody wants post. to clean. I know that everybody wants to clean their code up, but it's, no, it's it, it, <laughs> the part where you want to understand is indeed the view streamer, and I think that's good to have those apart. Well, I, there is some pretty messy code in GunJS, I have to say. It's, <laughs> okay, it's better to just ship, and then I get it. I get it. Um. I, you know, I, I have it on GitHub, it's private, but what I can do is give you some access, then at least you can have a look. Okay, uh, cool. Would that be something, anyone else that I can just look at? I, I can improve on I mean, I don't, I don't want, I don't, what I'm, what I'm saying is don't feel embarrassed about messy code. If there's other stuff that you want to keep your code private, that's fine. I don't want to bully you into making your code public. Um, but if you're, if you're not making it public because you, uh, trust me, I... As long as there's logic, it's beautiful code to me. Um, most of the time when people clean up their code, they make it all, oh, probably what Jonah, Jonah is saying, clean code versus messy code. Um, I code like a physicist as a mathematician, so I don't have English in my code because the English gets in the way of me understanding the logic, right? And so people, a lot of like web developers come and look at gun code and they're like, oh, this is messy, like Jonah is saying. And then like, I'll get mathematicians <laughs> and stuff right. and look at my code and they'll be like, oh, this is the only code that makes sense. And it's just a difference okay. in, in coding style. And so yeah. I judge whether, whether if you ship code today, even if you don't like whether it's clean or not, um, I, I'm not going to judge it. Now, I don't want to bully you into, you know, publishing. No, I understand. No, I mean, I can, I, I can do something back for the community. So I know this is something wanted as well. So, uh, yeah, no worries. I can, uh, I think it's good. And it's still going to take me several days. That's the point. It doesn't really work, but yeah, I, I, can, I can show. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, now I know that, uh, Jonah probably has a 
20, uh, seven character on average long variable names, right? I have very long variable names. <laughs> and you they're, came they're from English. C, didn't you? <laughs> you came from Objective C, didn't you? I, yeah, Hypercard, actually. Oh. The, the predecessor to. Like the original, like Hypercard, Hypercard text? Yeah, man, I, I'm 47 years old. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, Hypercard was so cool and yet we got a messed up yeah i mean so was the the newton was so cool i mean apple was like 15 years ahead of everybody for so long they were way ahead of the technology you know the the devices so anyways uh we all chase it yeah great well um I have a little bit more time. If there's any other questions that people need help with, I can probably swing another, you know, 15 minutes. But if everybody's done their demos, it's been pretty incredible. It's been really exciting. Um, you know, we can wrap up now, but I also don't want to cut things short that if there's a couple other questions that people have. No, I'm good. Uh, no, you, said, you, you said in the beginning, uh, the podcast or something, but. Maybe we can do this uh, more regularly. This is the first time I, I do the streaming. Maybe you did it before, but uh, it's nice to demo some stuff, but also to discuss some, also like this testing in the panic that we get some uh, something for the future as well. Yeah, good information exchange. I thought it was good. I think it'd be good if we could do something again, I don't know, on a weekly or bi-weekly, but I think if we had try to at least set a time so we can all kind of plan around it and, you know, it'd be better to get more people into it. Yeah, so, I'm really glad that, that uh, I was able to meet you guys. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Well, just quickly before we exit, uh, let's figure out a time since we know that Karen is good in early morning uh, California time. Yeah. He's also capable of doing like 4.30 p.m. California time. Um, so then we also have a bunch of people out in Northern Europe. Um, and then we, there's also a couple Australians. But if things are good for Karen, then the Australians should also be okay. And then stuff with us in the U.S., okay. So then the other end of the spectrum is, is you, Dirk, uh, Dirk right? Yeah, yeah. What was this a good time or is this a bad time? Uh, it's now here 9 p.m. I think we started at around 7 p.m. So I think this is quite a good time. Yeah, out of work. Uh, it mostly depends on the day. I, I think the time is okay. It mostly depends on the day. I mean, don't, don't uh, put the schedule only on me. I, I try to join. If we know a little bit of front which day, I can at least reserve the time. Uh, but I think that's for everyone uh, as well, right? I mean, we, we try to be there, but you cannot always have everybody there. But so this actually is a nice time for me. Yeah, know? so then let's shoot for like, uh, let's see, you're 10 hours ahead in Amsterdam, is that right? Uh, what time is it there now? Noon, 17. 12, 17. Oh, 12, 17. Ah, okay, yeah, that is about nine hours. Yes. Okay, nine, nine hours. hours right now. Earlier there, yeah. And then yeah. I think it was 9 p.m. for Karen in India at, uh, at, um, at, um, at 8 a.m. Okay, so that will be very late. 
So that was already pretty, yeah, I think he was, he left, I think he left around midnight his time. And that was like two hours ago, uh, something like that. Okay. But yeah, let's tentatively shoot for morning. Ugh, I hate morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it passed by, you know that, right? So no worries. Let's tentatively shoot um, for either, basically every maybe Friday. What is today Thursday or Friday? Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Let's just kind of keep this time in mind and I'll be ta talking about it in the chat room more. And hopefully we can kind of consolidate on like Thursday or Friday, early morning or California time. <laughs> Sorry. If, if, or, we have, if we have kind of two groups too, we could always do one week as like in the morning and one week at the next week, you know, alternate weeks. That way if people can only make one or the other, they could be on a bi-weekly meetup schedule and you can have, you yeah. know, it, it depends on how it works out. I mean, if our, all of our audience can make one, then I, you know, keep it simple. But if there's quite a few people that are kind of, it's hard to get all of the line up. So where are you, uh, 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 Julian? I'm in Denver. So I'm just an hour ahead of you guys. Got it. Um, and Jonah, it, it seemed like the recording with Zoom worked. Could we be able to do that more in the future? Yeah, yeah, why not? Let me, um, let me see how this one looks. They'll send me a link in a little while, and uh, I'll send that to you. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks so much, everyone. Right. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much, Take care, guys. Bye, Bye now.